0: You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office everybody. Welcome back to Beltway Beef. This is Ashley, and today we are at Hedgeapple Farm with Scott Barrio. And, Scott, we just had a great tour of your farm, and the whole theme of the tour was Waters of the United States. Yesterday, EPA made a big announcement, and it really marks the start of their repeal and replace process for the Navigable Waters Protection Rule. And I know that Waters of the U.S. and regulations is not something that you are a stranger to here. So can you just walk us through the history of Hedge Apple Farm and and what you all have had to deal with on a regulation side?
1: Well, sure, Ashley. Um, Thanks for having me. We uh, at Hedge Apple Farm have a number of... of, waterways or watersheds across the farm that we we steward every day we uh, are fortunate to have a mile of frontage on the monocacy river which is a major tributary that leads into the potomac and ultimately into the chesapeake bay so environmental stewardship is just part of our dna and we've done many practices here on the farm um, not only taking land out of crop production and putting it into permanent pasture and hay fields but also fencing off critical watersheds like the Monocacy River. Clearly, uh, a waterway, a watershed that we want to protect. And by fencing that, the cattle out of that with a 100-foot wooded buffer between the cattle and the river, we've worked to, to be good stewards to remediate any possible entry of, of uh, nutrients that would might get into the river. We've also put in uh, other types of, of uh Stewardship practices like a grassed waterway that catches all of the water that comes off the top of our winter feeding facility and it goes through a stone filter and then into a a very large grassed waterway that runs down into some lower pastures. So by the time the water gets down to the lower pastures, we're sure that it's clean and fresh and uh, it, it allows us to manage that water. And we also have some places across the farm that, when we get heavy rain, will accumulate a little bit of water, like like puddles or or a small little divots where you where water would accumulate for a couple days and. Uh, of course we try to manage that the best we can but that's unpredictable because you don't know based on the weather whether or not you're going to have any water in these little ephemeral draws across the farm. So we've tried to put together a comprehensive nutrient management plan that would allow us to manage these critical watersheds but also be able to farm as good stewards of the environment, the land, the animals at the same time and maintain the farm as, as a sustainable but also a very profitable operation for the long term.
0: So you said it earlier, conservation is in your DNA. And when you said that, I mean, it's just so evident, walking around your farm, hearing you talk, hearing the about the time and money that you invest in making sure that um, your farm is, is being a good sort of the land and, and leaving it to the next generation better than you found it. But when we talk about this political whiplash of regulatory changes, how does that affect you all?
1: Well, our perspective, and as I said, there's no question that stewardship and conservation is part of our DNA. It has to be. It's the right way to farm, and and a lot of the things that we've done, we've done with our own money because it's the right way to farm, whether it's fencing out a stream or protecting uh, critical land through the Conservation Reserve Program. And we've always viewed... uh, our relationship with organizations like the NRCS, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, as a partnership where we can get the expertise in designing some of these things, where we can get the best science, and then we can then put it into practice on the farm. So these partnerships are vital, but they're they're not top-down regulatory things that that are just dropped on top of us without any understanding of how we farm, where we farm, why we farm. And this is what I see happening today, especially with the Waters of the United States uh, legislation and, and the rollback of back to that, it, that it's top-down regulation without any consideration for the actual situation that we, as as producers, are having to deal with day in and day out. And that's a difficult pill to swallow when we've worked so hard to be good partners and good stewards of the land.
0: You know, I think one key thing to point out, and and you mentioned it, but you do these things because it's the right thing to do. And so can you dive a little bit more into that and your theory behind just stewardship in general?
1: Our farm, the the 500 or so acres that we're farming, both land we own and and rented land, uh, comprises not just the beef cattle operation, but lots of wildlife, lots of birds, turkeys, deer, Boxes. And we, we want to provide stewardship over that to the extent that we can by maintaining habitat. For example, the, the wooded buffer that runs along the river is tremendous habitat for a lot of these animals I just mentioned. And that's important. It's important to farm with um I like to think of it as understanding the interconnectedness of things. We don't farm in a bubble. It's not just one thing. It's a plethora of management that has to take place across this farm of the animals, of the pastures, of the wildlife, of the woodlands, of the rivers, the streams. Every bit of it has to be simultaneously managed. And that's a big task day in and day out. It, it drives the way you fence things, it, it the way you graze, the way you make hay, the way you manage the animals. But for us, at the end of the day, We want to be able to leave the land better than it was when we found it. We want to care for the animals in a way that that we're recognized as good stewards of the animals that are under our charge. And we want to produce a beef product that's in demand by consumers and at the end of the day results in profitability for the farm. Because the reality of all of this is if the farm isn't profitable, it's not going to be a farm it's not going to be sustainable. So we try to manage all of that, if if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes sense. And when we talk about science-based decisions on the farm, you have a a nutrient management plan that you work with, NRCS, um, and, and you rely on folks' expertise, and you rely on science to make decisions. So can you talk a little bit more to that?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we have a very extensive nutrient management plan that takes into account all the nutrients we produce on this farm, basically in the form of, of cattle manure, which is sampled and, and uh, works into the nutrient management plan. We sample our soils every year, and through the expertise that we can get through our uh, NRCS folks and in, from other places, we put together... A management plan that makes sense. that allows us to use the resources that we generate here on the farm to minimize the external inputs because they're expensive and to have a highly productive operation. While the nutrient management plan is something that is kind of top down, we still have the opportunity to scale it to our individual farming needs. And that's the thing that worries me with some of this federal legislation that is top down but takes no account of what the individual operational needs are. And so the science goes out the way window and that's troubling to me because one size doesn't fit all. We're not a cookie cutter operation. And so you have to have the flexibility as producers, as farmers, to put together a plan, again, that leads to productivity, stewardship, and ultimately profitability. And I think that that's largely what's missing when we get top-down edicts from folks that have no conception of what the farming community is doing every day. Again, we desire to be good stewards. We desire to take care of the entire operation. It's part of our DNA. It's who we are. It's who farmers are. And uh, we would like to be able to have the flexibility to do that.
0: Well, and I think you bring up some great points there. And and this administration especially is focused on sustainability and conservation. And I think what's really important to remember is that overreaching regulations that don't allow you to do your job and, and make the best decisions for the land that you're managing really goes against trying to be sustainable, trying to continue to conserve land. So I think it's really important for folks to understand your story, and I think that just brings me to my last question here. You know, NCBA represents farmers and ranchers from all across the country, and and you have friends all across the country who have farms and ranches, and and your farm is, is very different than a ranch in Nebraska. How can we be sure whatever decision comes out of the EPA when they create their new WOTUS rule, how can we be sure it works for farmers and ranchers across the country?
1: Well, that's that's a great question. And it's a overwhelming task to, to do that, because as I said, we're not cookie cutter operations. Every operation is different, even here across Maryland, let alone across the nation. So uh, number one, as a producer who's working every day to produce beef, it's an incredible asset to have NCBA and and folks both in D.C. and in Denver working on behalf of us as as producers and having the broad breadth of the membership that's part of NCBA feeding in to um, the policy and the direction and, and providing input so that Good decisions could be made that benefit, not just us as producers, but the public, the environment. And uh, it's a overwhelming task to sit down and and to think through. So grateful for the work, the good work that NCBA is doing every, every day. It's sad to me that it's sometimes such a difficult battle over what seem to be simple issues, that if we could sit down and talk or have someone come out Uh, that's a decision maker and see a farm, spend a couple hours, get out of Washington and get to the reality of what's going on on the ground every single day. A lot of this, I think, would, well, at least we would inject some common sense and practical application into the discussion. And I think that's one of the things that NCBA brings to the table.
0: Well, Scott, we really appreciate you taking the time to show us around your operation and explain all the incredible things that you're doing to be a sort of the land and and conserve the natural resources that you have here in in beautiful Maryland. Um, Thank you for all you do. And and thanks for taking the time to chat with us today.
1: Thanks again for having me.
0: This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including
1: SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.